Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of L2M Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. We're here today with Robbie Kelman-Baxter, consultant, speaker, writer, and an expert on how to generate reliable recurring revenue through digital content and services. Robbie is the founder of Peninsula Strategies, which is a management consulting firm that focuses on helping companies accelerate growth through new markets and product offerings. Her clients have included everything from bootstrap startups and mid-sized venture-backed companies like Bling Nation, SurveyMonkey, and PayCycle, to publicly traded industry leaders such as Netflix, Yahoo, and Oracle. So I'm very pleased to have Robbie with us today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Linda. Great. So tell me, to start with, why is everybody so interested in recurring revenue models all of a sudden? Where did this come from? Well, you know, Linda, I don't think it's all of a sudden. Um, I think that recurring revenue models have always been the holy grail of marketing. It's all about loyalty, building a trusted relationship with your client. But I think what's made it more possible in recent years is the advent of digital content and services in which variable costs approach zero, which enables much more aggressive testing and exploitation of subscription-based business models. But I really think they've been around forever. I mean, look at the health clubs and music clubs from the 80s. I think I was a member of Columbia EMG. This is not new stuff. Right, right. But now, I guess what's new now is it's now happening on an online basis, and and there's just a whole different way of looking at things. So how do you blend online and offline tactics when you look at a recurring revenue model? Is is doing offline marketing obsolete? Well, I think offline is never going to be obsolete because we still do most of our living in the physical world. Right. I do think think there are some really creative examples of companies who are blending online and offline – one that's especially interesting to me right now are the ones that are reaching out to local businesses. Okay. Um, there's over, I'm sure you know, there are over 6 million small businesses in the United States, and until recently they really didn't get very much benefit from the advent of digital marketing. But now I think companies like Groupon are really enabling this blend of online and offline and using uh, Internet technologies and social media to bring people into the store. Now, that's interesting. And what about some of the location-based places like Foursquare? I mean, yeah. So if, I, if I'm near a Starbucks, I get a coupon for a, a dollar off a latte or something. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. These are all about building, building loyalty and covering the divide between online and offline and recognizing that while people spend a lot of time online these days, they actually do a lot of their living still in the real world. Absolutely. In not fact, not I, all of it. <laughs> not all of it, but it's but we do live in one world, which is a combination of online and offline. We don't live either offline or either online, but we're in this kind of in and out all the time. Right. So, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, it seems like free is a key component to many of these subscription models. And, you know, here's the thing. It's nice to have something that's free, but obviously you're, you're going to have to have a way to get paid or, you know, you're not going to be in business very long. But should everyone have a free offering? I mean, what happens if you start your business by giving everything away? Does that work? Well, you know, my grandma told me if you give away the milk, then nobody's going to buy the cow. (laughs) That's right. That's not something my grandmother would have said, too. (laughs) And I think that some of these companies are forgetting that free is not a strategy. It's not a business model. 
it's a marketing tactic. Uh. And I think there are specific objectives that can be achieved when you use free. Um, it's a great way to uh, engender trial. It's a great way to create a network effect, which allows other people to get value from the existing network. It's a great way to bring people in to sell them bigger offerings later. But it doesn't work in every case. And you know, some of the examples that I can think of is you know, if the offering is big and complex, uh, if the offering is something that you're only going to use one time, it's just not going to work. I mean, for example, I wouldn't think that a company that sells wedding dresses would want to give free trials. Yeah, that might be a problem. <laughs> yeah, at least we hope you're only going to use only right. wear it once. Yes. There's a few people out there that might get benefit from it, yeah. but the vast majority of us. But what about when, when the free offering is, is kind of just good enough and, and you've got a more premium offering, but people aren't necessarily um, – you're going to move up to that. Is that a problem? It's a huge problem, Linda, and it's a huge problem today. I think, you know, going back to what I said earlier about how the advent of, of digital content and services has meant that a lot of value can be provided with a variable cost that approaches zero, I think it means that a lot of companies think, well, this is free for me. It's not going to cost me anything in order to give something away, and I can get eyeballs, I can get users, I can get awareness, and that's got to be valuable. The problem is if you don't have a model that works for doing something with those eyeballs or with that brand awareness, then what ends up happening is, first of all, you don't generate any revenue, and second, you really kill opportunities to, give away, to, to generate revenue into the future because you've given the value away uh, to people and they're getting it for free. It's very hard to change those people and move them over to a paid model. So how do you decide in this world where so much is free, particularly online, right? How do you decide whether you should have a free offering or not? I mean, let's, let's leave the wedding dress people out of it. But for <laughs> services and things like that, how do we decide whether we should do that? Well, I think the first thing is to think it through logically and to understand that free is part of the business model. It isn't the business model. So how do and, and to also leave room in the conversation for the option that free might not make sense. So I, I can give you an example. I worked with a company that had a, a recurring revenue model. They had a SaaS model. And they came to me and they said, okay, we think that free is really hot right now, and we're trying to figure out if we should use free in any way to grow our business. Is there any value that we can generate by offering something for free? And what we did is there are six or seven different ways that you can – create value around free. And we went through them one by one. We looked at um, a la carte services. We looked at products that you would, you know, you'd give away something for free and then you would sell products around it. We looked at how it would impact their networked effect. That is, would there be virality? Would there be value in having a community of people that you could then charge a separate group of people for access to that group? Uh, we looked at a lot of different things, and what we found in that particular case is that because of the nature of the product offering and because of the fact that most of the people who used that product didn't really need to connect with other people, so there was not really any natural brand awareness being built, mm -hmm. and because the product itself was enough to solve all the problems of most of the people who were using it, there really wasn't a model that made sense for them. So I think to summarize the company should think first, how does free fit in and how is it going to generate revenue somewhere else? I think if the, the other side, I, I think, is what if the company is just starting out and they're trying to decide if they should have free? 
I think it's really, really important that they have a clear vision of what additional value-added services they're going to be offering that are going to be generating revenue and to introduce those offerings as soon as possible so that they can see if they're getting a response. That makes sense. And, and I think people are so overwhelmed by we've got to match the free offers that are out there that they don't think about, again, you know, if we lose business, we'll lose money, but we'll make it up on volume, which just doesn't work. Right, so, exactly, yeah. exactly. So tell me, we hear so much about social networking, social media, and, you know, the idea about going viral. What is the impact of, of social networking on a subscription-based business, and how do you go viral? It, it, can any business go viral, or does it really take something special? So, the, the concept of businesses going viral has, has been hot for a while, especially I think since Hotmail they put their little blurb at the end of their email saying, right. you know, if you like this and you want free email, click here to get your own account. And I think that what's important to remember is that for something to be viral, it has to be organically a viral service. That is something that touches other people in the process of using the service or the product. So, for example, with, with email, it's natural that any time I send an email, there's got to be somebody on the other end. Any time right. I'm sending a big uh, electronic file, like in the case of you send it, there's somebody at the other end. If I'm doing an online invitation, there are other people that are receiving the invitation. If I'm paying my bills, there are other people who are getting paid. So anything where there, is, there are two sides to the transaction, viral is going to make sense. Um, and it's going to happen naturally, and it's going to be pretty close to free. The, the best models for virality is where the person that's sending, that's, that's the initial user, has a reason to bring in a lot of other people to use it with them. So examples of that are anything that relates to communication or uh, things like survey tools, like mm -hmm. SurveyMonkey or Zoomerang, where if I'm using it, I'm going to send it out to hundreds of people at a time. So it makes a lot of sense for those kinds of businesses to have a free offering because, let's say in the case of Zoomerang or SurveyMonkey, even if the vast majority, even if I, Robbie, never pay for any of their premium services, I may be sending out surveys to other people who in turn are going to sign up for premium services. So effectively, I am the marketing engine. Right, you're the messenger. Yeah. I'm the messenger. I'm, I'm the carrier. If, if you want to take that uh, vi virality, viral metaphor to, to the next level. The, the, the other option though, that I have seen work effectively is what I call inorganic viral marketing, which is where you create or you introduce a benefit that makes people treat it like it's viral. So you know, an example might be if you sign up for Netflix, um, if I can get a friend to sign up for Netflix, I get a discount on my own subscription or I get some other benefit or I get credibility or perks in my community. And right. that's not really organic because it doesn't happen by itself as part of the process of using the service. But by introducing additional benefits to the carrier, you can actually have the same – you can produce the same effect. So we have value by the yeah. fact that um, – uh, you know that that I'm doing something and I'm introducing you to this and I get something back as well. Right, exactly. And, and the downside, the, the upside is that you can still, you know, you said is is viral marketing does that work in every case? No, but this inorganic approach can work in many cases. The only issue that you need to think about is it costs money. Right. You have to give those people something. You're basically incenting them 
to, to carry to do something your for you. Yep. Yes, exactly. Great. So one final question. This is fascinating. Can any business be a subscription business, or are there certain key attributes that really make a business ripe for recurring revenue? Can any of us turn this into subscription, or what, what really do you think characterizes a very successful uh, subscription business? Well, I think one of, one of the key things of, of a subscription, subscription-based business is that the, the variable costs are very low, um, and the fixed cost is, is, is high. So that creates an incentive on the side of the business owner to, to think about subscription marketing because you have this cost. There's a lot of investment required to make the service available even to that first user, and your objective is to get as many users as possible. So they're effectively sharing the cost. So that's, that's one, one reason. A second is when the consumer, the user, is going to be using the offering on a regular basis uh, over the long term and where there's some intrinsic uh, stickiness, that's, that's ideal, or when the thought that's involved in making that decision is small enough that once the person makes the buying decision, they're not going to think about it very much again. So, for ah. example, I have a bunch of things on my personal credit card statement, even though this is my area of expertise and I know how these things work, I have a lot of subscriptions that come up every month on my credit card. That the numbers, frankly, just aren't big enough for me to think about them on a regular basis. Right, so, right. And it's easier for me to just have the service available on those occasions when I need it. Than, than to think about actually turning it on and turning it off every time. Right. Yeah. So if you as a business owner have something like that where you think that your customers or clients would think that the cost is low enough relative to the peace of mind of having access to it, um, then it might be a good a good option for subscription. The other thing that's great about subscription models is when the offering is aspirational. So the great example there is a gym membership, mm-hmm. but it could also be a membership to a, a, a source of content, New York Times or a TED or anything where – you're saying, you know what, I really want to force myself to stay current on this information or to participate in this community, so I'm going to pay for it, and that's going to force my better behavior. So I'm going to pay for that gym membership, whether or not I go. <laughs> right. That's not what people yeah. say. They say, I'm going to pay for that gym membership Therefore, I'm going to go. Yep. Right? Yep. The reality is they, keep, they pay for it whether or not they go. Right, right. Great. Well, this is fascinating, and I really appreciate it, Robbie. This is wonderful. It gives us, I think, a better idea of, of understanding the whole recurring revenue model and also this free freemium type of thing, which I think a lot of people are confused about. So I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, Linda. It's been a lot of fun. Great. This is Linda Popke from Marketing Thought Leadership, and we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by L2M Associates. If you'd like to find out how you can improve the return on your investment in marketing programs, processes, or people, contact us at www.l2massociates.com.